Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to see y'all here this morning, uh, especially those of you who are first-timers who haven't been with us in a while. You picked a great day to be here because uh, we have burritos. We have breakfast burritos, and they live up to the hype. So make sure if you haven't grabbed one yet, you grab one on your way out. And I'll talk a little bit more about uh, how significant those are as part of our church life uh, near the end of the service before I give my final prayer. But it's good to see you. And uh, on your way to charge out to the burritos, make sure you come and say hi to me. I'll be in the back at the end of the service. Uh, I usually try to ignore online ads, but every once in a while, one captures my attention. And I have to click through just to see what it's about. Such was the case when I saw something proclaiming that the art of the brick was coming to Raleigh this summer. Now, I'd never heard of the art of the brick, but I recognized uh, the distinctive colors and patterns of Lego bricks in the logo, so I clicked through. Uh, Art of the Brick is a traveling exposition of sculptures made using Legos by an artist named Nathan Sawaya. It's been going on for a number of years. It's traveled all across the country and even other parts of the world. Now, I owned Legos growing up, but it wasn't like the kits that you see mostly sold in stores now where uh, there's just the right number of pieces in the box to build just the thing that's on the box art uh, following the instructions that are conveniently provided uh, in the box. I had a bin. Uh, I remember it was a green bin, and the top was shaped with like four Lego dots, and it had all sorts of pieces in it. And uh, what I would do is, at my grandparents' house, which is where the bin lived, I would go out into the living room, I would take the bin, and I would, you may think, you would take the pieces that you needed, pull them out, and then build something, and you would be wrong. You've also forgotten what it's like to be a child. Uh, I would dump the bin out into the living room, right? And it would look something like this, right? It'd be, I'd make quite a mess. And then I would proceed to play, right? I'd, I'd, I'd think about what I wanted to try to build, and I'd try to find the pieces that could lead my vision to come to fruition, and I'd play, and I'd tell stories, and I'd hang out, and then when I was done, I would set upon the task of uh, picking up uh, the Legos and putting them back in the box, and I had to be careful picking up, lest I leave one lying around to be stepped on. (laughs) Never, never, never did I imagine that out of that mess of Legos, something like this could emerge. Yeah, never did I imagine like, so, that something like this could emerge. But that's what can come when an artist brings his creativity, brings his knowledge, and brings his love and understanding of how Legos can be fashioned into something wonderful to a big mess of Legos, to a big mess of bricks. We encounter many messes in life, don't we? Some of them come in the form of unpicked-up toys, Looking at the parents here, you may have walked into a room that has been full of Legos or, I don't know, Paw Patrol figurines or other things like that. Some of it comes in the form of pets that get into the trash, and then the trash gets into everything else. Some of the messes are a little bit more serious. Sometimes we encounter messes in the family dynamics that we've been part of. Sometimes there's messes at work, either created by us that we've been a part of 
are created by people that had more authority and power and made poorer and poorer decisions. Sometimes we encounter messes in our world. Some of those messes are so serious that mess feels like too small a word to describe them. A more apt word might be chaos. Might be chaos. And between the culture wars and family feuds, between uncertainties at work and the kind of stress and tension we feel at our schools and even some of the fear that emerges at our schools, the barrage and the barrage of nonstop information and opinions that we are bombarded with on a daily basis, it feels like oftentimes we're not just going from one mess to another or that messes are the exception in our lives. It feels like we're going from chaos to chaos to chaos to chaos and chaos accumulates and accumulates more and more. And we wonder, how do we get through that kind of life? How do we get through chaos? And not just how do we get through chaos, but is it possible? Is it possible that in the midst of chaos, we could fashion something beautiful, something wonderful, something worthwhile? Last week, we started a series here at Chatham Community Church titled The Way of Wisdom, Navigating Through Chaos. The ancient scriptures are filled with truth that can help us navigate the, navigate the chaos of life uh, in thoughtful and practical ways. And much of that guidance comes from a collection of writings in the ancient scriptures that is known as wisdom literature. What we need to get through the chaos of life is the timeless wisdom that is contained in the ancient scriptures, which teaches us both how to get through chaotic times, but how to engage in the midst of chaotic times in such a way that we can make something beautiful, something wonderful, something that has order and brings life so that something better can emerge. Here's what walking the way of wisdom does. The way of wisdom tames and contains chaos, and it creates a way for flourishing and beauty to emerge because that's what life was made to be filled with. Life was made to be filled with flourishing and beauty, and the way of wisdom finds a way not just to cut through the chaos, but to fashion something worthwhile in the midst of chaos. Imagine what's possible if we collectively turn chaotic situations into spaces where flourishing can happen, where beauty can emerge, where things worthwhile are happening and occurring. Imagine what it would be like in our families, in our workplaces, if health were the norm. Imagine. But we don't have to imagine. We have a path to engage in it. So let's turn to those ancient scriptures. Let's turn and see if we can pick up some of that wisdom. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8, uh, and we are going to be starting in verse 22. Proverbs is in the Old Testament of the Bible, so it's in the first three quarters of your Bible, or first, sorry, two-thirds of your Bible, and it'll be after the Psalms. So last week I said that if you open your Bible randomly, the odds that you'll land on the Psalms are pretty high, so you can do that, and then just scroll a little bit more, or pass the pages a little bit more till you get to Proverbs. Proverbs are a collection of wisdom sayings, and we're going to be in chapter 8. And if you don't happen to have it with you, a Bible with you, we'll put it up on the screen in just a second, but we'll start in verse 22. Here we go. The Lord brought me forth, and this is wisdom speaking, as the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. 
and there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. In Proverbs such as this one, the author personifies wisdom. And oftentimes the author is personifying, is personifying wisdom in order to give wisdom a voice. And through wisdom's voice to convey its importance, to convey the role it's meant to play in all of life and the place it's meant to occupy in humanity, in our lives. And as wisdom speaks in the section we read, you see wisdom hearkening back to a familiar story in the ancient scriptures. In fact, it's one of the earliest stories of the Hebrew scriptures. It's what we sometimes call the creation narratives. The, the things wisdom talks about conjure up the images of what came about when things began. And in this telling, as wisdom recounts the events of creation, wisdom is right there. Wisdom is right there at the beginning. Wisdom is present with God as God is forming reality. All of reality as we know it. Wisdom is there. Now remember, wisdom is not a separate entity. So part of what is being communicated in this proverb is that wisdom is woven into God's creative action. That as God is creating, as God was creating, wisdom was an essential part of it. Wisdom was there in the thick of it. Wisdom was never absent. When God created, God created with wisdom. Every single part of reality as we know it, every single part of our world, every single part of life, every single part of existence was fashioned with wisdom. Wisdom was there. And if it's a part of the beginnings, then it stands that it's somewhat, at least somewhat important, which is part of what the author is trying to communicate. The author is trying to communicate to his audience. The author is trying to communicate to us that wisdom is essential because wisdom has always been present. Wisdom has always been there. Now, the Genesis narrative would have been familiar to the original audience. So as they're hearing or reading this proverb for the first time, in the back of their mind is the narrative that they've read or heard, most likely heard because it's mostly an oral culture. They've memorized, they've understood it, they've internalized it. It lives in their being and it's being over, over that is coming this proverb. And because of that, uh, there are some truths or some things that would be obvious to them that are less obvious to us because maybe we're not as familiar with the Genesis narrative. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a look at a couple of parts of the creation narrative uh, just to draw out the principles that I think would have been evident to the first audience of this passage. We're not going to read all of it, but we'll take a quick journey into it uh, just so that we can get a deeper picture. And we'll start with the first verses in Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What you find at the beginning of Genesis is formlessness. 
What you find is void. When you overlay the, the, the stuff in Proverbs and when you think about the rest of that first chapter of Genesis, you get this idea that what is present is darkness. It's the deep. And all those concepts, formlessness, void, emptiness, darkness, deep, for that original audience represented chaos. It represented death. It represented, and it created anxiousness because it was unknown and it was treacherous. But by the end of the first chapter of Genesis, where there was only formlessness, where there was only void, where there was only the deep, where there was only chaos, there is something different by the end of the first chapter of Genesis. And that would have been conjured up as the people heard the proverb we read earlier. What is there at the end is much different. There is land, there is sea, there, is, there are plants, there are trees, there are animals, there is humankind, there is life. There is life. Where there was only nothingness before, there is life. God has ordered the things and has brought forth the things, and has put the things in their place. God has taken the chaos and brought order to bear. And so if wisdom was there at the beginning, as that audience of the proverb is listening and hearing uh, this passage, then that means that, and God employs wisdom in the creative act, that that means that one of the things that wisdom does is wisdom brings order where there is chaos. Wisdom brings order where there is chaos. Now, what does that look like? Because most of us are not going to encounter formlessness and void and have to fashion a whole reality out of it. So what, is that, what might that look like? Well, uh, a number of years ago, I worked with college students, and uh, part of the things that we do, one of the things we did is we would have uh, a sort of a summer conference up at one of these camps in upstate New York. And we would have students from all sorts of colleges and universities join us at these camps. And sometimes we'd have upwards of 300 college students, 18 to 20-ish year old, 20-some-odd-year-olds. Uh, and, uh, you know, like uh, 18 to 25-year-olds are loud. They have lots of energy. They have, you know, uh, lots of things to talk about, especially as they're going about the things that we're doing at camp as they're learning things, as they're meeting other people, as sparks of love are starting to emerge, right? Uh, and there were a few times where we could gather all 300 or some odd students together. And those times were precious. And one of the times we gathered students together was during meals. Now, you add all that I already said about young people with delicious camp food, because this was delicious camp food, Delicious camp food. And you can imagine just the din and the noise in that uh, dining hall as things were going on. But here's the thing. Dining times were key times to communicate things to these students, particularly to give announcements. These were the times where we could talk to them about changes we had made in the schedule during the day. Or we could let them know what their options were for the free time that we gave them. A very critical one was as the week was ending, this is how we communicated to them the options for them to get home if they've not made arrangements for rides back from camp. And so you had to set on the challenging task of quieting a room of 300 or more college students who are enjoying their food and enjoying each other's company. Now, there are a number of ways that you could go about doing this. You get on the PA system, and you could speak very loudly. And that's sort of a way of using 
a sort of a boom to quiet chaos. We use sort of a little bit of chaos to quiet chaos. But, you know, that was sort of grating and challenging, and it wouldn't create the best impression. And there was this one colleague of mine uh, who would, in a stage that was built into the dining hall, this was like a stage built so that no one would pay attention. That's my opinion. It was like sunk into a wall. It had a small light in it. It was tiny. No one could ever see it. But she would stand there. She would ask the spotlight to be put on her, and she would raise her hand. And she would stand there just raising her hand. And sometimes it would take a minute, sometimes it would take two, but suddenly you'd see like a wave of quiet spread throughout the room, and you'd see people sort of like elbowing each other and point, and they would quiet down, and they would quiet down, and they would quiet down, and all of a sudden, without having to add to the chaos, the chaos would be quieted down. See, my friend had some wisdom there. She brought wisdom to bear, and out of the chaos and the potential for not being able to communicate information or for people not hearing it or for people missing their ride or for people missing their opportunity to have fun, she brought to bear order. And when she brought to bear order, good things came about. Wisdom brings order where there is chaos, and beautiful things can happen. Now, I'm cautious about this word, using this word order, because I'm aware that there are some places where order is really a word that is used to imply power exerted for control. And there are times where power gets used to control, and it's called order. And when that happens, there is not life. There is not goodness. It feels stifling, because control feels stifling. It feels suffocating. Because control can feel suffocating. It is damaging. But the type of order that comes with wisdom is different. The order that emerges from wisdom is life-giving. Is life-giving. And it's there in the creation narrative, right? Where there wasn't life before God brought order to the chaos, when God brings order to the chaos, and in wisdom, then life emerges. Not just the kind of lives that you and I have, but the kind of life that exists throughout all of creation. The type of order that God brings with wisdom, the type of order that comes with wisdom, is life-giving. It's life-giving rather than stifling. One of the ways that God does that in wisdom is God sets boundaries. Particularly one of the things that it talks about is it sets a boundary to the sea so that the sea does not encroach upon land. And for people who had times where they were living near the Nile, where the Nile would sometimes overflow and it would be chaos, it would be scary, it could mean death, that is an incredibly important statement. We've seen and heard what can happen when bodies of water do not stay within their limits, do not stay within their boundaries. We've seen, some of us have experienced the destruction. For some of us, destruction has touched close to us when bodies of water have not stuck to their boundaries. Some of us have even experienced or heard of the death that happens when that occurs. Setting boundaries can be a great way to employ wisdom as we navigate and seek to tame the chaos in life. And now most of us don't have uh, the responsibility to set boundaries for bodies of water. Some of us are in public works where we kind of get to do that a little bit, but, but there are other ways that we can set boundaries. So think about the places that feel chaotic in your life, the places that feel messy 
Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe it's just in how you care for yourself. Maybe it's in your health. Could it be possible that the key to containing the chaos is to consider setting some wise boundaries? This year, I had a particularly challenging medical diagnosis at the beginning of the year. And it was one that if I didn't pay attention to it, would have long-term consequences. And the instructions from the doctor were clear. You need to make some changes. And we're at the point where if you make the changes now, we can avert this whole thing. What the doctor was telling me was you need to set some boundaries. In what you eat, your active life, and how you pay attention to certain things. And so I did. I set some boundaries. It meant I restricted myself from lots of lots of lots of good things, and it means I forced myself to doing lots and lots of things I did not like doing. <laughs> right? Because let's be clear, sometimes the reason we don't have boundaries is because we like what's on the other side of not having boundaries. But the boundaries have taken what was a pretty chaotic situation and have brought order. And that order, I think, has bought me some life. Are there places where you might need to set some boundaries? Relationship, your workplace, the demands it makes of you, your studies, or the amount of activities that you get called into. Maybe it's with a neighbor or with something else. Perhaps boundaries might be the thing that brings life. It might be the place to exercise wisdom. Now, the Genesis passage goes on to say more. Here's what it says. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work uh, he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. One of the things that the Genesis narrative establishes is that there is a rhythm of work and rest. Right? In reality, God doesn't need to work. God doesn't need to rest. But God, the Genesis narrative establishes this rhythm from God so that it establishes a rhythm not just for us, but for all of creation. For all of creation. God's creative act for six days is his work. And then on the seventh day, God rests. He rests of his work. When you lay Proverbs 8 on top of this Genesis narrative, you get a couple of things. The one thing that you take is that God brings wisdom to work. When God goes to work, wisdom is with him. And you may think, well, you've already kind of said that, Jaime, so what's the point? Well, here's the thing. Um, Proverbs isn't being written just as a descriptive text. Proverbs isn't about theory. Proverbs are very practical kind of pieces of information. The goal of every proverb is to get us to do something or to get us to embrace something, or to get us to engage something. So by communicating this idea that God takes wisdom to work, part of what the, the proverb is trying to get across is that we are invited to bring wisdom with us to work. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I'm already retired too late. Let's be a little broader, right? When we think of work, think of whatever you set your mind to, whatever you set your energy to, whatever you set your time to during the day or during your life. Whatever you set yourself to is the, your work. And God invites us to bring wisdom to bear to that. God does no work without wisdom. We are encouraged to do the same. It has implications for our work. The creation narrative is marked. At each instance where God creates something, God declares it as good. 
And in fact, at the end, he looks at the whole of creation and he says, this is very good, very good, very good. If wisdom is there, part of what that means, and wisdom was always there, and wisdom was there from the very beginning, it means that there is no good work without wisdom. There's no good work without wisdom. I don't think I would need to poll the room, but I would guess that everyone here wants whatever they set their mind to, their energy to, whatever they give their time to, to produce something good. None of us want to set our minds to, our energies to, or give our time to things that are worthless or things that are poor or things that are like garbage. We want to set our minds to things and our energies and our time to things that are good, that last, that endure, that make an impact well. In order to do that, wisdom must be with us. It was with God when he made the first things that were good, when the concept of good was established. Not just good, but very good. The goodest of good. All good comes when we set wisdom to it. Now, good work may require things in addition to wisdom. You may need to bring some things with you in addition to wisdom, but good work never comes absent of wisdom. You bring everything else and don't bring wisdom, it'll not, it won't be good work. At least that's what the proverb is communicating. Lastly, I mentioned earlier that there's this rhythm of work and rest that God establishes at creation. The proverb also adds wisdom talking about rejoicing and delighting in the creation and delighting in mankind, taking pleasure in the good work that is done and in the fruit of that good work. It creates a picture of a rhythm of a life, of a path that is marked by work and by rest, by rejoicing and by delight. This is the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom is marked. Now, it doesn't mean that, there's never, that it never encounters chaos, but it means that even in the midst of chaos, as it's navigating through chaos, as it's managing chaos, as it's bringing order to chaos, it is marked by work, by rest, by rejoicing, and by delight. That sounds really appealing, doesn't it? That's the kind of life I want to live. That's what I want the theme to be of my life. Just pick, I mean, yes, you could pick other four words, but these are four pretty good words for life. Work, rest, rejoicing, delight. But doesn't it often feel just slightly out of reach? Maybe for some of us, we're like, man, I get one of those. The rest are so hard to come by. I get two. But when I try to grab three, I lose one. It's kind of like juggling. You're like, man, I have that third one, but I don't know that I can risk it for that fourth one. Well, I've experienced that as well. Uh, a number of years ago, I was probably at what at that point was the busiest time in my life. I was working as an engineer, uh, had a significantly... Uh, actually, no, I wasn't working as an engineer anymore. I had just taken a job in a ministry. That's my first job in ministry, Yes. Uh, and it was one of these jobs where even though you are technically part-time, uh, it's a full-time job. Some of you know about that. Uh, and, and in addition to that, I had this crazy idea of going back to grad school. So I was a full-time student, and I was working a part-time job. The busiest time of my life up to that point. And in the midst of that, I felt harried. I felt that all I was doing was working, and I sensed God inviting me to rest. And I came across these sort of creation rhythms. 
And I sense God saying, it's time for you to take some sort of Sabbath. Just take 24 hours a day in your week and don't do any work. Let me tell you, when you've got papers due and books to read and calls to make and people to pray for and studies to prepare, that's a pretty big ask. But the life I was living, which was meant to be good, was feeling chaotic. So I said, all right. In the busiest time of my life, I embraced rest. I had two, work and rest. I didn't have rejoicing and delight yet. Because for the first few years, I would crash and burn into that day off, man. I would, like, work myself ragged the whole week, and then I would just be, like, catatonic <laughs> on, my, on what I would call my Sabbath. And it just didn't feel life-giving. And a few years later, there was an invitation from God. It's like, all right, now you need to do a little bit of rejoicing. Have some fun like, okay, how do I build that into things already? And God taught me. And a few years after that, delight. Delight. Be playful. Delight. Like, actually appreciate the things. Slow down. Someone this week wrote a Connect devotional and played, on, played with the phrase, slow down, stop and smell the roses, and said, we often focus on the stop, and we forget the second part of that phrase, smell the roses. And that really, like, hammered me. Because I think in a harried and hurried society in which we are, stop feels like the most urgent word, and I think that's true. But if we don't smell the roses, then we miss the point of stopping, the fullness of the point. That's delight, to actually enjoy what's before us, not just recover so we can head back to work, but actually enjoy the life we've been given. It wasn't easy. It took me years. I had to go one word at a time. So if you only have one of these words, don't fret. It may take a while, but a life where all four are part of your daily living is possible. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think which one of those words is currently absent and you really want and you really need. I want you to do two things. Think of one step you can take in that direction and commit to doing it. And maybe the step is, I have no idea what to do and I need to get help. Great, do that. But take one step in this direction. I can't promise you you're going to get all four tomorrow. In fact, my life, uh, it would be uh, hypocritical for me to promise you that you could get all four tomorrow because I didn't get all four tomorrow. In fact, there are some days where I have three, some days I do two. But most of the time, I'm headed towards a four. Even if it took me years. You can get there. And it's a life worth living. It's a life with wisdom. It's a life where there is order. It's a life where chaos doesn't win the day. Now, the author of Proverbs is not just interested in extolling the virtues of wisdom, but is looking to invite us into a life that is marked with wisdom. And, and for, the, for the author of Proverbs, the stakes are high. If we keep reading Proverbs 8, here's what he says, or yeah, here's what the author says where we left off. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Remember, this is wisdom saying, blessed are those who keep my ways, who stay on the way of wisdom. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find, who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord, but those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. And that is stark 
But wisdom is making the choice really clear. For the author of Proverbs, this is urgent. The author of Proverbs is saying, any life worth living has wisdom in it. Because that's where there is goodness. That's where there is order. And every life that chooses to not have wisdom in it, what's the alternative to that? Death. It may be slow coming, but it's death. It's death. The message is clear. Don't just hear the words. Listen to the words. Don't just hear and listen. Heed the words. Don't just hear, listen, and heed. Keep the ways. Step into the way of wisdom because the stakes are significant. Stakes are significant. So the invitation today is going to be to take wisdom with you to work, to whatever you do, to whatever you do. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. Imagine if God had not brought wisdom with him when he went to work. Imagine what it would have been like. Imagine what creation would have been like had there not been the opportunity to impose order onto chaos, to contain chaos, to contain and bring life. Imagine what life would be like. In fact, we may not have to imagine too much because it feels a little bit like that's what's going on in our world. What might we do in those places if we bring wisdom with us? Some time ago, uh, I heard a story about a man who had something that needed fixing in his house. It was a plumbing problem and called a repair company. And if you've ever seen one of those plumbing vans for, you know, those repair company plumbing, like, they're, like, stocked up. These are, like, fantastic vans. They look like they're, like, a... You kind of want to play in them, except for the smell. Because um, there are so many interesting things, right? And he calls this reputable company. The company comes with this big van. Two guys get out. They go in. They've heard about the problem. They come in. They look at the problem. They go back to their van. They open up the van. They look at all the tools, and they come back and say, we didn't bring the tool that we needed here. And so they had to leave. Now, the man had, you know, you know how it is when you schedule repairs. You got to take time off work. You got to get the, you know, in the window. You got to be present. So the man who called the repair company missed time at his job, wasted his afternoon. The repair, uh, the, the broken things stayed broken. And, you know, plumbing things, there are sometimes Stuff attached to when you don't fix those quickly. Stuff happens. Um, and the company lost some reputation. And the workers wasted an afternoon. They had to come back the next day. That's what it's like when you bring every tool in your arsenal and don't bring wisdom. And don't bring wisdom. That's what the stakes are like on a very practical level. There's so much upside when we bring the right tool. When we bring wisdom with us, why do we take so many other things instead when we go about our work? Let's bring wisdom with us. Let me start by defining it. Wisdom is the ability to distinguish the good or ideal, the good or ideal way, combined with the will to pursue it. Right? The wisdom of the scriptures is not theoretical only. It's always practical. It's always meant to communicate something and an invitation to do something. So wisdom is the understanding, the ability to see what the right way, the good way, the ideal way, the ideal path is, and the will to head towards it. So then our role is to recognize and then go. That's our part. To recognize it and then go. 
here are the implications. Here's what happens when we take wisdom with us. When we take the ability to distinguish the good or the ideal and we match it with our will to go after it. When we take wisdom to work, to school, to family, to fill in the blank with whatever, we participate in bringing flourishing, in bringing beauty, in bringing meaning, in bringing all manner of good fruit. The work that is needed gets done. The things that are broken are repaired. The communities and relationships that need to be healed are healed. Good reputations are built. Good stories are told. So I want to invite you to do some reflecting right now. Think about a typical day for you. Think about what work means for you. For some of you, it's school. For some of you, it's actual jobs. For some of you, it's the job of grandparenting. For some of you, it's the job of enjoying retirement. Bless the Lord for that. May we all reach that point. For some of you, it's the work you do at home. For some of you, it's the relationships you have in your community. Think about a typical day. What's the trait, the quality, the value that is most present for you? What do you take with you to work? What do I take with me to work? What is with me? There are probably good things, right? We probably have some vision, probably some enthusiasm, some energy, some homework, hopefully, for those of you who are in school. But isn't it true that sometimes we take other things as well? We take conflict avoidance, we take envy or jealousy, sometimes we take greed, sometimes we take unhealthy competition. Sometimes we take anger and bitterness. Sometimes we take fear. We take all sorts of things with us to work. What do you take with you to work? Picture it. Picture it. First invitation I want to do is for those of you who, who, as you picture it, you don't really see anything bad that you take to work, but you realize you're missing wisdom. Today the commitment is to take wisdom with you. One of the easiest ways to do that is to ask God. I've said this in the past, past. Wisdom is one of the prayers that God promises to answer. You pray for wisdom, God promises he's going to give it. So ask God for wisdom. Just make it a point every day. Say, God, with everything else that I'm taking to work, I want to be intentional about taking wisdom. Just pray that. But for some of us, it's an invitation to lay something down. So the invitation for us to pray this prayer. I set down blank so I can take wisdom instead. I'll give you an example. When I did my first internship as a student, I interned for a multinational company, and they hired me in that internship to solve a problem at a distribution warehouse that was run by a contract, someone they contracted. So I was the only person for the company from the company at that location. And early on, I realized I was out of my element. I wasn't really sure what to do, but I didn't want to appear uh, inept, so I didn't ask. I let my pride of all the things I said about my abilities get in the way, and I wasted days. I wasted days. I wasted days. And by the end of the summer, I handed in a project that was worth maybe a week's, week's, week or two of my time rather than 10. 
next summer when I tried to get a job with that company, they wouldn't even take my calls. <laughs> All because I took pride with me to work and I was unwilling to set it down for the sake of wisdom, of getting the help around me to help me see the way and having the will to pursue that, even if it meant admitting that I wasn't as good as I said I was. What do you need to set down today? What do you need to do in order to embrace wisdom? I'm going to pray for us. And as we pray, either pray for wisdom or set down what needs to be set down so that you can embrace it. Let me pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Spirit, you have set before us a picture of what the good and flourishing life looks like. It's a life where there is beauty. It's a life with the, where the messes and chaos that confronts us cannot overpower us or overtake us. It's a life where we can both get through chaos, but also where there is chaos, uh, bring order so that something wonderful can emerge. Lord, that is a beautiful gift. And what you invite us to do is to walk the way of wisdom and to take wisdom with us as we go about the work you've given us. So, Lord, for those of us who uh, today is a day to just embrace this new tool because we've got the talent, because we've got the passion, because we've got the gifting, because we've got the, the heart for it, because we've got the love, but we've never thought about the wisdom. Lord, may we embrace wisdom today. And for those of us who've been taking things to work that are sabotaging and actually bringing about uh, more chaos and disorder rather than order, Lord, maybe we've taken those things to protect ourselves. Maybe we've taken those things because we didn't know any better. Lord, may we lay them down today. And in their place would we receive wisdom. And as we take that wisdom, may we see how things turn. Not just in our lives, but in the lives of the people we interact with and in the spaces that we inhabit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.